Welcome. I'm Dr. Angela Mazza, a thyroid, endocrine, and metabolism specialist with an integrated practice in Central Florida. As our listeners know, my goal for this podcast is to define and demystify the thyroid gland and thyroid-related medical conditions. By providing information in an easy-to-understand format, I hope to help patients better understand the ways in which their bodies work and to help them thrive. My friend and co-host Dawn Sheffield is here with me today for episode 26. I am so glad you could make it and happy new year. Thank you. Thank you. That's, we have one sound effect and, <laughs> and it's a squeak. And there you go. Uh, same to you. Happy new year. Um, and I got to say first for this episode, our first show of 2024, I wouldn't have missed it. I was just thinking back because we started the show in early-ish 2022, exactly, and yep. here we are in our third calendar year. Um, and I also want to say I really enjoyed episode 25. That was our previous show. Oh, me too. All those great listener questions. We have really remarkable, insightful listeners. Thanks to Central Florida, Canada, and the UK for your valuable Woo-hoo. participation in episode 25. Mm-hmm. You folks literally made the show. Yes, they did. <laughs> and speaking of, we actually have a question from a person in Central Florida. The question is, what is brown adipose tissue and why is it different than regular adipose tissue? That is really a great question. It's pretty timely in the in the ongoing current literature. Well, brown adipose tissue actually helps us make energy and helps us burn calories. When our highest amount of brown adipose tissue is when we're born actually. And as we grow up, we have less brown adipose tissue. But there are ways, and the difference between brown adipose tissue and regular adipose tissue is we know that our visceral adipose tissue or regular or white adipose tissue as it's called, actually holds on and conserves energy. Whereas brown adipose tissue, you know, helps us burn burn calories so they kind of work oppositely a little bit i know which one i have more of <laughs> sadly <clears throat> well and i guess the question is how do we increase yes let's do tissue? let's learn so, about that have you heard about these recent uh cold plunges or cold water plunges um i know people after athletic uh exploits isn't yeah. the right word I'm looking for, but they sometimes go into an ice bath. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So that actually increases the activity of brown adipose tissue. Whoa. I don't know that I could do that myself. Oh, man, I was just thinking. But there actually was another study that showed even a cup of coffee may help increase brown adipose tissue. Okay, coffee. Coffee, coffee is handle. my friend, I don't yes. like the cold, but... Um, coffee is my friend. Yes, yeah, so brown adipose tissue, good. White adipose tissue, not so great. The visceral... Adipose tissue is the worst because that's around our our organs, and that can lead to um, more severe chronic diseases. So I thought that was a great question. That's amazing. That is good. And I'm glad you said about coffee because I had no no idea. And I actually did not know about the different adipose or fatty tissue until fairly recently. Yeah. It's it's kind of been on the research radar for over 10 years now, um, but it's kind of gaining some some momentum and there's actually some uh, studies on thyroid and brown adipose tissue so stay tuned for that that was a really good question i know i like that sort of question 
They are the best. <laughs> they all do a great job. And you know, the thing is, it really feels great to know what folks want to learn about and then to right. address that thing. Right, which is kind of the topic of today, <laughs> it right? It certainly is, because now our top, well, that was well done. Good segue. Thank you. Um, our topic is thyroid cancer. Um, and a lot of people are really concerned about it and interested in it. It's scary, yeah. Oh, gosh, it really is. Um, and in part because, why? Because everything's scary because we don't know what it is or, how, you know. We don't know enough to, to be empowered. So we're going to try to work on that a little bit today. But the thing is, before we dive into thyroid cancer, I was just thinking, could you give a brief definition, like a, a demystification, let's right. say, of what cancer is just in general? Right, because I think cancer, we think the big C word. And it just once sometimes when people hear that, they their minds blank over and it's like... Terrified. Terrified. Yeah. But let's... And like we always say... Let's kind of clarify what something is. It makes it easier to deal and with. And shine right? the big old light on it. Exactly. So cancer really is any disease state that's caused when cells divide uncontrollably. So without any sort of regulation. And they spread into surrounding tissues. So cancer is actually caused by changes to the DNA. Different types of tissues can develop different types of cancers. So breast is different than colon, which is different from thyroid. You know... I might be wrong about this, but I think in this, putting this episode together, I just may have learned that or, or a little bit. I, I think I was aware breast cancer is different, right. but I, I'm not sure that I knew so much about the other. So that's good to know. Yeah, different tissues are, they're different. That's good to know. Um, so that was really helpful. Um, and yeah, so often we hear cancer and we really don't know what it means or what it is. We're just afraid. And like you said, then we just stop hearing. Right. So so before we get any deeper into this, I do want to say I am not a doctor. I do not have a fraction of the knowledge that Dr. Mazza has. She's able to speak directly from her knowledge and experience on this topic, but I, I am not, obviously. So at her suggestion, I looked at material provided by the American Thyroid Association. Their page that we refer to in this show is Thyroid Cancer FAQ. Now, this is the one about thyroid cancers in general, not one of their FAQs about any specific thyroid cancer. So we're going to put a link in the show notes, and it is a really valuable resource. It, I think it's a really great resource, Oh, it was good. Too. I mean, I think it's a great place to start for people who want to learn more. Mm -hmm, it's really good. And, you know, the material is presented in a way that folks can really understand, which is crucial. Yep, correct. So the American Thyroid Association, they provide up-to-date, research-driven data on on thyroid cancer. So it's science-based. It makes it an important resource. One I refer my patients to with extreme confidence. So like I said, it's a great place to start for patients and for podcast co-hosts. It is, that's right. If you want more information. Well, yeah, it really is. And just FYI, if I misspeak or lack clarity, that's not their fault. That's on me. <laughs> You're good. Um, so now referring to that American Thyroid Association Cancer FAQ page that I just mentioned, I don't think I had realized that there are actually four types of thyroid cancer. Yeah, there are. And each of them are a little bit different. So the most common by far is papillary thyroid cancer. The good thing about papillary thyroid cancer, even though it's the most common, it grows very slowly. The second most common is called follicular thyroid cancer. It also grows very slowly. We They fall into what we, we call... Um, the not so scary ones. Then there's the other two that are 
a little bit more aggressive. So there's medullary thyroid cancer, which really is only about 10% of the cases, grows more quickly. And then finally, anaplastic. Again, very rare, but very aggressive and grows very quickly. I'd also like to add that catching thyroid cancer of any type, early detection is key. Because even though we have great cure rates, thyroid cancer can be deadly no matter what the type. So early, early detection is key. I'm really glad you said that too, because just lately I just keep hearing, oh, thyroid cancer, almost like it's like, uh, I, I, I can't point to a source or anything, but just recently I just have seen or heard maybe a couple of references where it's like, yeah, it's thyroid cancer. If you're going to get a cancer, yeah, thyroid cancer. Thyroid. Well, no, I, I guess it's good and bad. It is, I mean, but, but still let's catch it early, cope exactly. with it right up front. Um, because so. I've seen cases where we just ignore papillary thyroid cancer and it, 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 it does go everywhere as well. It, be, it metastasizes. Yeah, and I'm pretty good at, um, sometimes I'm good at just ignoring something. And, uh, you know, often it, it doesn't turn out well. So yeah, let's catch it. Uh, I haven't had thyroid cancer. That's I'm very grateful. That's good. Very That's grateful. Good. Um, so in your practice, what do you find to be a common cause of thyroid cancer? I know you mentioned DNA change the genes. Right. Um, but are common causes, maybe other causes found in your practice? Right. Well, to be honest, in most of the cases of thyroid cancer, we can't really pinpoint what turned those genes on. Wow. It, it, it's tough. It's like going back in time. Um, thyroid cancer is more common in people who have had exposure to high doses of radiation, especially at a very early age, and those with family members who have had thyroid cancer. Oh. Yeah. So it tends to be more common in persons who are older than 40 years of age, but not always. Uh, but like I said, for most people, we don't know what exactly caused the thyroid cancer to develop. So am I right that at least one, and I'm not sure if it's more uh, or which ones, um, is it true that some of the weight loss injections we have now warn users about the possibility? And Well, I know it's true because I've seen it, but I guess my question is, is this a pretty common concern is it something we have to worry about that where the weight loss um, injections may warn users about the possibility of getting a form of thyroid cancer got you and that's a great that's a great question and this is a question i get a lot from my patients as well so the question is in terms of medullary thyroid cancer so this connection dates back to the very early studies on exenatide so exenatide is in a class of drugs called glucagon-like peptide agonists or GLP-1 agonists. GLP-1s were originally designed for the treatment of type 2 diabetes, but, but we found these meds also have weight loss. It's a pleasant side effect, right? <laughs> um, in the early studies with exenatide on rats, there was a connection seen with medullary thyroid cancer. So first, you got to be aware that rats have very different thyroids than we do. They have a lot of C cells in their thyroids, which is where medullary thyroid cancer originates from. Plus, they gave these poor little rats very, very high doses of, of exenatide, more than what we really treat with on, a, on like a body mass ratio. The concern is now that there may or may not be a relationship between these GLP-1s and thyroid cancer. And the studies that we have looking back as far as population studies or even just con- not so much controlled studies or re- they're more retrospective studies aren't consistent. Partly, if we are seeing more thyroid cancer, is that we're looking for it closer in these, in these patients. The other part is that obesity and type 2 diabetes is a very inflammatory state. 
we know inflammation can drive thyroid cancer growth. So perhaps this inflammation already started the wheels in motion for cancer. So we're not sure. Uh, my opinion is that we need more studies. Well, that was a great answer. I just want to go back because I am not saying it does or doesn't. I just right. think that I had seen at on at least, um, but it was just something that caught my eye flying oh, yeah. by. It's um, a valid concern. Yeah. And, well, it is. And it's something that other people might see and be concerned about too. Um, I'm getting the feeling that it's not something that you would really be extremely concerned about. I think it's something we need to be on the lookout for, but if you weigh the risk versus benefit of obesity-related issues like heart disease, diabetes, and even other types of cancer itself, it actually may be worth the risk. Gotcha. Okay. And thyroid cancer has been linked to obesity-related conditions too. So, you know, it's, it's a good idea, you know, to bring this question up with your doctor and make sure that they're also aware of your concerns. Sure. I think that's a, I, I think that's always a good idea. Right. Um, because again, we see something doesn't mean it's true and exactly, we don't know. Exactly. So, and the way it's presented to can be a little more alarming than. Well, correct. And <laughs> going back to the rat studies. So, and it's just funny on a completely different subject, which I'm not going to get into, but something, I had a conversation with someone, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago where the, some information unrelated to the thyroid looked really alarming, but in reality, if you knew the backstory and the back studies that were behind it, it it was more of a it was just a bit alarmist, possibly, you know. Understood, yeah. So yeah, so that happens, and and we're all I think when we patients we're, we're just uniquely vulnerable, right? Because we're scared to begin with. So then, yeah. So talk to your doctor if you have a thought or see something that you know goes by and you don't know. Um, so. In your practice, um, do you find thyroid cancer very often? Well, not frequently, but more commonly than I have in the past. But, you know, I mm. perform a lot of thyroid nodule biopsies because, as I mentioned, these are some of the only new patients I'm seeing. So I can't give you a number, but less than 10% of the patients we biopsy come back with suspicious nodules. Hmm. Um, what type do you find the most often? in your practice by far the most common type is the papillary thyroid oh. cancer when you see or suspect thyroid cancer in a patient how does it usually appear you know most patients don't have any symptoms at all usually a suspicious nodule is found by a person's physician on a physical exam or you know what it's frequently found through imaging for something else it's like a chest x-ray or an mri of the neck usually the patient doesn't feel anything at all if they do feel something, it might be some discomfort swallowing or they may notice a change in their voice. When you have one of these cases in your office, is performing an ultrasound one of your first steps? Well, most people already have an ultrasound performed that showed something of some concern. Uh, but I always do my own ultrasound in the office before going any further. Um, I think as I said in the past, ultrasound is the best way to image the thyroid and can give important information on the nodule in question as well as other information. And I'm just thinking, I don't think I had an ultrasound before the one that I had with you, not on the thyroid. I oh, don't, really? I don't think so. I, it's possible and it, it's been lost remember. in time, but I think you might have been the first. I think that's possible. Um, so after the ultrasound um, and that whole conversation, do you then pretty much always do a needle biopsy? 
Well, first I discuss with the patient and even show them the ultrasound because it's kind of nice to see a, a visual mm-hmm. of what's going on. We talk about the chances are that this is cancerous and then we move on from there if we do a, a biopsy or not. Now you did a needle biopsy on my nodules and I've talked about that on the show and I should add they were all benign. I happily, um, I thought it would be painful. I really did, but uh, so painful. I thought, but as it turned out, you numb the skin at the front of my neck. I wasn't even aware that, in fact, later I said, well, you didn't numb it or anything. And you were like, yes, I did. Uh, so didn't know. Uh, and then you painlessly guided the needles into my nodules using an ultrasound machines imaging and having ultrasound images done is entirely painless. Um, as our listeners know, you kept asking me questions throughout the procedure, which I tried to answer with, uh-huh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I could not see nor feel the needles, but I knew they were there somewhere. Um, but I was just convinced that speaking with needles in my neck could not be a good plan. But you were like, oh, it's fine. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I work around it. Yeah, <laughs> you did. And I use needles that are thinner than you get your blood drawn with. So, But you also assume the needles were absolutely... <laughs> I th- think the words were gargantuan, <laughs> like six inches long, I think. Um, in my mind. Those are really yeah, okay, long needles. okay, I did. Uh-huh, yeah. I don't think they make them that long. Uh, yeah, because now thinking about it, I, they in my mind, probably they were like garden steaks for the tomatoes, you know? massive and I have to go back and I I really have to go back and listen to that episode to revisit my weird and false suspicion um yeah and just thinking about six inch needles they just go right through the net right into the table I mean they just go right through it that is crazy um in defense of my foolishness we patients so often really have no idea what's going on unless we are shown and things are explained. I know you know that. Um, we may often imagine something much worse than the reality, like such ridiculously long needles. Um, and again, they would just have gone right through my neck, right into the floor, I guess. Um, and I think I didn't know at the time that the thyroid's pretty close to the surface. <laughs> Um, and not embedded down between the muscles of the neck, not somewhere near the floor, no. apparently. Um, I do believe you told me the thyroid itself has no pain receptors, just the skin around it. Is that right? That, that's correct. That's why we usually just numb kind of the outside of the, the skin and, you know, around the, the capsule of the thyroid. That's right. I don't, how did you numb it? What did you do? We used lidocaine. Oh, I know. I have just no awareness of that at all. Some doctors don't use any lidocaine, but I, I think it's better. Well, it's very nice. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I'm so impressed now. It didn't even hurt. Um, so now with those needles, you suction and yeah, okay, that's not medically, not medically precise. Let's say you aspirate some cells from the thyroid yes. and those are then analyzed. Yes. So we send the slides to the pathologist. So she does an initial read to say if it's benign or cancerous, but we always send an extra sample. So if the pathologist wants to know what the risk of the nodule turning into cancer in the future, this extra sample is set out for molecular analysis. Ah. So this checks for different gene sections that may increase the risk for the nodule in the future becoming cancer. It's so advanced. So the molecular testing gives us a grading system of risk in the future. And just going back to this for just a minute, which I, I think you may have just said, but um, the sample is aspirated in particular from w- if you might find some nodules or swellings or growths, like some, some cells from the thyroid, that's what then 
That's what is yeah, aspirin. We make slides and okay. but it, it could be from a nodule, not just the thyroid gland itself. It could be from a lump on the thyroid. No, it's always in the nodule. See, and maybe that okay. So when I think of the nodule, this is funny. I thought it was um, more of a, attached to the thigh. No, that's ah. a, I think that's a common misconception. So the nodule is a growth within the thyroid itself. Okay. I did imagine it being sort of... On the a, outside. A little bit, yeah. yeah. So it's it's the nodule is within the thyroid itself. Okay. And then the capsule goes around the thyroid. That's why I went yeah. back to that because I thought, well, I've misunderstood. I misunderstood something again. No, you're okay. right. Wow. You, you got it now. I, you got it. I can't, I'm sure I knew that you, I'm sure you've told me that a million times. That's just one of your patients. I'm, I'm just a patient here. Um, so usually within a week, if the sample needs to be sent for molecular testing, um, so how long to get the results back then on average? Usually within a week, but if the sample needs to be sent off for that molecular testing, it may be another two to three weeks. Okay. So before the aspirated cells are sent in to be analyzed, how do you remove the samples you collected in the needles? This might be the dumbest question I've ever <laughs> asked. I mean, how does the collected material get out onto the slide or whatever tiny jar you're using? Um, I just pictured a little tiny mason jar. Wouldn't that be cute? <laughs> uh, so we need a visual again. And by the way, these would be great for little shorts on your YouTube. Okay, that's you a good You could just idea. show whatever it is you do. <laughs> I'll watch it. Oh, it's so very technical. I just squirt it out of the needle oh, with a syringe. <laughs> I'm still watching it. Okay, I'm cool. still going to watch it. I will. Oh, goodness. Okay. All right. Well, then my assistant makes a dry set of slides and a wet set of slides. And then the needle, I flush it in a liquid that that's kind of a, a specimen prep. We call it slide-a-light. Slide-a-light. Slide -a -light. Oh, okay. Um, so I remember before my needle biopsy, when I had just met you, I asked if you would do any surgery if <laughs> surgery was necessary. And you said, no, but you'd refer me to someone really good at their job. So I assume that if something looks like cancer, I imagine you refer the patient to a special thyroid surgeon or do you refer patients to a general surgeon that you trust? <laughs> yes. Well, first of all, you do not want me doing surgery. And patients ask me that all the time. Like, oh, no, you oh, crochet. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> No, no, okay. <laughs> but crochet. Yes, I do. So we refer to specialized surgeons for so this. So you could just wrap it up, you and could then, just wrap then it up. I see them back afterwards. Okay, so you do the follow up. I take care of everything else. Okay, um, much. that's good to know. So nobody wants cancer, but I keep hearing from various sources that thyroid cancer is one that doctors know a lot about treating, and that gives me tremendous comfort. What are the treatment options that you recommend for patients in your own practice? Treatment options depend on the type of cancer, the size of the mass, and if there are any suspicious lymph nodes in the neck that are present, because that's where cancer goes to. Um, if it spreads, it'll spread to the local lymph nodes. So I won't go into too much detail, but if it's a fairly small to medium nodule that has not grown or gone beyond the thyroid capsule, a partial thyroidectomy, or meaning half the thyroid can be removed, may be appropriate. 
If the nodule is larger and more concerning, the whole thyroid is taken out. So based upon the final pathology after surgery, then we decide if they need if the patient needs something called radioactive iodine treatment. So basically, radioactive iodine destroys any remaining thyroid tissue. So that's performed by a nuclear oncologist. Ultrasounds and lab testing are really part of the follow-up from there. But one thing we talk about on the show quite often is radiofrequency ablation, also known as RFA. So RFA has been approved for the treatment of some I say some um, small papillary thyroid cancers. So it really depends upon the size and location of the cancer. And the cure rate can be encouraging for some of the types of thyroid cancer. But again, as we said earlier, we can't ignore it or put off getting it seen if we suspect something is wrong. Absolutely. So just circling back uh, to something you said a couple minutes ago, after uh, a thyroid surgery, I imagine that you as you implied, have a huge role to play in a thyroid cancer patient's recovery. And what does that look like? So I do neck ultrasounds. So that checks for lymph nodes mainly. Oh. Um, and lab testing. So ultrasounds and lab testing and thyroid hormone replacement when indicated is really part of the, the follow-up care. That's big. Because our goal is we want to make sure that the patient's doing well and the thyroid cancer doesn't come back. You know, I feel like we've left listeners wanting to know more about thyroid cancer. (laughs) Um, And we'd love to hear from listeners if they agree with that. And if you'd like to learn more about this subject, please let us know. We really want to get the word out on subjects that interest our listeners. And we want to also say that we don't want thyroid cancer to be scary. We just want to give you all the facts. So that's why I wanted to do this podcast, to provide life-saving education and to encourage folks to see their doctor in time to prevent or minimize damage. That's deeply fulfilling. I enjoy helping folks understand how all aspects of their lives are tied to both thyroid and overall health. As always, my goal is to help us live more fulfilling lives by taking control of our health and thus feel our best. In fact, that's why I went into endocrinology. It's a medical art that combines science with the study of our lives and all that they encompass. So our next episode, number 27, (laughs) by popular demand, will be all about leaky gut. So this will be part three. I hope people believe that it is by popular demand. It is. (laughs) I know. People just keep asking for it. Wow. Um, Yeah. As always, we hope our listeners will continue listening to Thyroid Talk with Dr. Angela Mazza. We have many more interesting episodes and guests planned. We'll build on today's foundation and cover many topics we hope you'll find meaningful. And so now to recap just some of what we covered in this episode, not necessarily in this order. What are the types of thyroid cancer? How is thyroid cancer diagnosed? What are the treatment options for thyroid cancer? Cure rates are good, but early detection is important. And best of all, we learned that we can impact our thyroid health. Now, as Dr. Mazza mentioned, in our next episode of 2024, number 27, we'll discuss leaky gut, part three. Awesome. I know. You know, I'm excited about it. Uh, (laughs) Dr. Mazza's book, Thyroid Talk, an integrative guide to optimal thyroid health is now available on Amazon. There's an online master course related to the book to help guide us to optimal thyroid health. 
As our listeners know, I participated in that webinar, and now I've also joined the masterclass, and I really get a lot out of it. Um, so, and it's recorded, so folks who join later can catch up. So, and I think one of the best things about the masterclass is you're part of a thyroid community, right? So every month we have live coaching sessions, right? Um, so where we kind of address questions that folks might have, whether it's related to the module they just listened to, whether it's related to something they want to talk about on their own. There's no pressure to talk about anything you don't want to, right. but it just, you know, it's just kind of a, a nice thyroid community. It is, and there's something valuable about seeing that other people have some of the same concerns, right? And sometimes different concerns, right? Um, yeah, mm. community—that's a good word. Um, and it is entirely online, but I really like the very personal nature of, nature of it. It feels very personal, and like you said, folks can share their concerns if they want to. Optional, yeah, no um, pressure. Get customized information on how to work toward healing. The online course helps us walk the talk to energize our lives. For more information, you can check out thrivethyroid.com or forward your name and email to thyroidtalk.mazza, that's M-A-Z-Z-A, at gmail.com or Dr. Mazza's website, metaboliccenterforwellness.com. The initial webinar coordinates with the online masterclass. And the masterclass has modules that cover topics like diagnosis of thyroid issues, personalized treatment, gut healing, mm-hmm. um, stress, and much, much more. Plus, there's a lot of bonus bonus modules. The downloadable printable handouts, I think, are very informative. Oh, good. I'm I, glad I, you like them. Yeah, they're good. Mm-hmm. And for information on at least some of the supplements we may discuss on the show, please visit the wellness store at metaboliccenterforwellness.com. Full disclosure, I personally use and I carry supplements by Douglas Laboratories and pure encapsulations in both my office and at our online site. Check me out at the website, Metabolic Center for Wellness, as well as Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. We welcome your input. Please submit your questions, comments, and show ideas to thyroidtalk.maza at gmail.com. That's an email address. We may disclose your general location on air, that's the city or town, for example, but we will not read your name nor your address on the show. We reserve the right to edit your input as necessary. And please don't forget to ask your healthcare provider any specific questions regarding your wellness. This podcast is meant for educational purposes only. (music) 